The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. We are so glad to see you today. Happy Easter, everybody. Um, we are squeezing people in, and so I'm sorry if it's really tight here today, um, but it's going to be just kind of tight in this room. We're going to turn the fans on, try to cool it down a little bit, but happy Easter. We're so glad that you're here for this Easter weekend, this snowy. I love we just saying that he washed us white as snow, and the snow came. So anyway, it's a cruel trick. Um, spring is coming. It's sad, but anyway, we're glad that you're here. Um, there's a tradition in the church on Easter Sunday. When you would see somebody, uh, you would say, he is risen, and they would respond back with, he is risen indeed. And, and uh, typically that was followed by three kisses to the cheek. And so I'm going to have you turn to your neighbor real quick, and I'm just saying, what kind of church is this? No. So, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. This is Easter. This is the day of all days. We celebrate that Jesus Christ is not in the grave. We're going to see people get baptized today as just an outward sign of their faith. Uh, we're so excited about this morning. And so uh, let me just move into the, into the scripture here. John 14, 1 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then in verse 5 it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I love this passage. I really connect with Thomas. Uh, he, he has a lot of questions. He's very concerned. This is Thursday night before the crucifixion. It's Thursday. They've just been in the upper room together of this house. They've had the last supper. Jesus has washed their feet just as a sign of his, his sacrifice for them that was to come. And then he kind of drops this bomb on them and he says, listen, tomorrow I'm going to die, which for the disciples would have been shocking would have been scary. They would have been wondering, Jesus, how is this part of your plan? Do you remember what happened just last Sunday? I mean, we came into the city and people were cheering and, and applauding you. Everybody was excited. Do you remember that? And so they would have had a hard time with this truth that Jesus was going away. They still didn't get, why would he have to leave? Why would he do this? So do you guys remember your first car? Anybody remember your first vehicle? The first one you bought. So the first vehicle I bought was a 1988 Chevy Silverado with the step side bed and it was, it was cherry red with a lift kit and mud tires. I mean, it was just a 16 year old's dream. I loved that truck. And, and so I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And in, in the springtime in Cheyenne, it's a lot like Alaska. The weather is undependable and you never know what's going to happen. And, and so my dad always used to tell me, Brian, stay out of the fields in the spring. Because the ground is soft. Stay out of the fields. 
And so I remember one night I'm driving around the city of Cheyenne, 10 o'clock at night, just trying to kill some time, looking for trouble. I got wheels. I got freedom. I'm just enjoying the city. And I, I come up over this hill, and I see off in the distance this, this mud hole. I mean, shining in the moonlight. It was like a magnet to a 16-year-old with a truck and mud tires. And so I pull off the pavement. I pull onto the dirt, and I, and I aim the truck at the mud hole. And I can just hear my dad's voice. You know, you know when you just hear your parents' voice in your head? And I could hear it, Brian, in the spring, stay out of the fields. The ground is soft, you know. And I could hear it ringing in my head, but I'm 16 and I'm brilliant. And I know much better than my dad. And so I, I aim at the mud hole. I rev the engine. I throw it in gear. And off I go through the hole. And the mud's flying. And the wipers are going full speed. And I'm making it. I'm making it. And then like somebody threw out an anchor, I come to this screeching halt in the middle of the mud hole. And I'm like, uh-oh. And so I throw it in reverse, and I try to go back, and I throw it in drive, and I try to go forward. And, and anybody who's been stuck in the mud knows there's this suction that happens on your tires. And so I look out, and the tires are just buried in the mud, and, and the water is up to the floorboards of the truck, and I am just completely stuck. And so I open the door, and I get out now, and now I'm waist deep in this nasty muck, in this mire, and, and, and I just start digging, right? And I, and I grab whatever I can, sticks and twigs, and I stick it under the tires, and I'm trying to get out of this hole. And after about a half an hour of that, I realize this is hopeless. And, and I am just, I am way over my head in this. So I get back in my truck, and I just think for a minute, you know what I have to do. i got to call my dad. And, and like any 16-year-old, I knew he told me not to do this, and the last thing you want to do when you're in trouble is call the guy that said don't do this. And so I'm sitting there thinking, and so I reach down into the floorboard of my truck, and I grab my phone, uh, which it was like 1998, so it was my bag phone. Anybody ever have a bag phone? It was like a phone with a battery that weighed 50 pounds that you had to carry around. If you're under 20, you never never seen a phone that didn't fit in your pocket, but they didn't used to fit in your pockets. And so I grabbed my bag phone, and I called my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, sorry to wake you up. I'm stuck in a mud hole. And he's like, I'll be right there, you know. And so now I'm like, oh, what's coming? I know I'm in trouble. So he shows up and he pulls in. I see the headlights come up behind my pickup and he's in his big power stroke diesel Ford, you know, and comes up and he opens the door and steps out and, you know, and he starts surveying the situation, you know, like any good dad does. And he sees the tires and he sees that I'm stuck. And I said, dad, how are we going to get out? And I still remember he said, oh, I'll make a way, you know, I'll make a way because dad's got a plan. He's always got a plan. And so he pulls the truck around in front of my truck and he latches onto me with this big yellow toe strap and he jumps into his pickup and, and I jump into mine and he yells out the window, you ready? And I'm like, ready as I'll ever be, you know, and I, I throw it in gear and I hit the gas and I'm still not doing anything and he lurches forward and, you know, after pulling the muds, hitting the, the windshield and it's flying everywhere and finally the suction releases and out comes my truck and, and so then we get out, I open my door, he opens his and now I'm like, what's coming? What's coming, Dad? Dad's truck is completely covered in this mud, you know. And he, he comes up to me, and I don't know what's coming, and he gives me the world's biggest high five. And he's like, we did it! You know, he's just so excited. And I'm like, yay, you're not killing me, you know. <laughs> and I just remember this moment with my dad. He's covered in mud. He had his head out the window as he's hitting the gas. And so his face is just speckled with all this nasty mud. He's just, he's covered in, in the mess that I had created. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about my dad that day. And I learned a lot about the love of a father that day as he came and just helped his son. And I want to tell you this, this Easter Sunday, that the greatest hope 
of all people is that there is someone greater than us that can help us to make a way out. That can help us to make a way out. Hebrews six seventeen says this. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is, it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragements to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a fun name to say, Melchizedek. We're not going to talk about him this week. We're going to talk about him next week. Um, But this is a letter written to the Hebrews about 65 years after the death of Jesus. And scholars say it's a, it's a letter written by a Hebrew to the Hebrews to tell them to stop acting like Hebrews. You see, these people, they had seen what Jesus had done. They'd seen the power of Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And some of them were still following hard after God, trusting in what Jesus had accomplished for all of humanity on the cross, whereas others were acting in sort of religious behavior. You know, they were just going back to what they knew and what was comfortable for them, trusting in their good works and their good deeds. And I just, I imagine the writer of Hebrews speaking to a a crowd kind of like we may have here on Sunday morning. I'm guessing there's some of you who are hard after God, searching after God, following Him, a disciple of Jesus. And then there are maybe some of you who are here just out of a religious behavior. You just come to church on Sundays, or maybe it's Easter, so you got to go to church. And, or maybe you just heard there were Krispy Kreme donuts, and you were like, I'm going to that church because there's Krispy Kreme donuts. And if that's you, we're so glad that you're here. You know, it's, it, he's speaking to a, a mixed-up crowd like we have at this church. But there are some truths in this passage that I just want us to talk about, some deep truths that I think we can find some freedom in today. And the first truth is this, God's word is always true. God's word is always true. And in in a world where you never know who you can trust, in a world where everybody seems to have an agenda, they all want to get something from you, you know that when God speaks, it's the truth. He says, you make oaths in my name, I make an oath in my own name. It's like you might say, I swear to God that I'll do this. I swear to God I'll figure this out. I swear on God's name that that we can do this. And God says, listen, you need a higher authority to swear by. I have no higher authority. I am the authority. I am God. I swear in my own name that what I say I will do, I will do. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate that salvation is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Christ And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know if I I trust what he has to say. Because you're like, well, maybe you're saying salvation is found in Jesus, but if you knew what I did last night, if you knew what I did last week, if you knew what was in my mind, the doubts that I have, the anger that I have with God, the frustration I have, maybe, maybe even with the church, you'd never say that. But here's the truth. Jesus came because you aren't good enough. He came because your belief isn't strong enough. He came because you cannot do it on your own, but Jesus made a way. Amen. Number two says this, we are all looking for refuge. We are all looking for refuge. We all need it. We all want it. Verse 18 says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. 
These people would have got this. They've been, they're, they're fleeing for refuge. They've lost friends and loved ones. They're, they're hurting and they need someone who they can depend on. And he speaks about two unchangeable things. One being the word of God that we just spoke about. The other being the character of God. You see, it's one thing to trust his word. It's another thing to trust who he is. Is God good? Does he actually want the best for you? So when you're looking for help, I'm telling you, you don't want to waste time going to other things. You don't want to waste time. Like if, if you were looking for refuge, if your boat was out in the water and it was sinking, you wouldn't want to go out to the ocean and go water skiing to raise the morale on the boat, right? You'd want to go straight to shore. You go straight to what you can depend on, straight to what you know will save you. And this is Jesus. This is what we're talking about today. And these people, they were troubled. They were very troubled. And Jesus says this right before his death. He says in John 14, 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And in this context, trouble just, it just means unsettled. To be unsettled with the world around you. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I'm kind of unsettled with the world. When I watch the news, when I see what's happening in our, in our nation and even in our city, I just am unsettled. I'm uncomfortable with it. I feel like there's something in my soul that says there, there's something more. It wasn't supposed to be this way. So they were troubled just as we are troubled. And when people are troubled, they need refuge. And when people need refuge, they will grab onto anything and everything they can to give them security. So my question for you is, what has given you refuge up to this point in your life? What are the things that you're using to secure yourself to? Maybe it's your financial security. Maybe you've got a lot of money in the bank and so it makes you feel like you're secure. Maybe it's your, you've got a beautiful wife or, or some beautiful kids that are just awesome and so they make you feel secure, you know? I, I don't know what it is. It's your job. Maybe it's your, your future and your dreams and your plans. All of these things we, we, we secure ourselves to. Or maybe you've turned to some kind of hurtful behavior to, to give you refuge. You've abused over-the-counter drugs or alcohol, which are both huge deals in the state of Alaska, in a state that deals with so much depression. And, and so I don't know what you have secured yourself to, but in every person is sort of this floating sensation, this feeling that we need something secure to, to anchor ourselves to. And if and maybe you're saying, well, Brian, it's worked up to this point. I mean, what are you saying? Is, is there a problem with securing myself to this stuff? And what I want to tell you is that all of that stuff is, is good stuff, but none of it is secure. None of those things are secure. But the world says, you can get refuge in these things. You can be secure in your, in your wife, in your husband, in your money, in your job, in your house, all of you, in your retirement fund. I don't know what it is that's making you feel secure. How many of you know none of that is secure? It's just not secure. Even, even the people in your life that you depend on, that give you a sense of, of security. And maybe you felt this on the other side. Have you ever felt like the person who was being hoped in? Like, like you were the only hope for somebody else? Have you felt the weight of that or the pressure of that? And if you have, the, the real reason it's, it's, it's pressure is because you were never meant to be someone's hope. Only Jesus is a secure foundation for the human soul. People were never meant to do that. Your kids were never meant to do that. Think of the pressure that we put on our kids to be our foundation, to be our security, to be our future. They were never meant to be that for us. But one day the truth will be told. 
the truth will come out that all of these things were not secure. The world says that you can have refuge in those things, but, but in John 16, 20, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. He's talking about like an Easter we're celebrating today. When Jesus died on the cross, evil thought it had won. Sin thought it had won. And, and, and Jesus, the guy who said he was the Messiah, the Savior of all the world, goes into the ground. Literally, his heart stops beating for days. The breath leaves his lungs, and evil thought it had won. And, and there will be this day, like today, like Easter, where the truth comes out, where Jesus is alive, and he is resurrected from the grave. That's what we celebrate. And he's saying in this passage, people, it's going to be a shocker. I mean, it's going to be crazy. People are going to say, I thought all of this would give me security. I thought all of this I could trust my, myself in. I, I thought I could find hope in all of this stuff. And everybody's going to be shocked. There's going to be this game-changing moment for every person in this room where the truth comes out, where everything switches, where maybe you were dealing with pain as a follower of Jesus, which you will have pain. But that sorrow one day will turn to joy. And their joy, those who thought they had won, will turn to lament. And I can only think of one picture in my head as I was thinking about this feeling of this game-changing moment. And it was this picture that I think I have. There it is. (laughs) This is the picture that came to mind. Sorry, Seahawks fans, I know. Uh, It's brutal. It's brutal. I know it's salt in the wound a little bit on your Easter Sunday, but you're welcome. So this is, this is all I could come up with. This is a great picture of this because if you guys know what's going on, this is Sherman and it's at that moment in the Super Bowl where there's 25 seconds left on the game. Seattle Seahawks have the ball. They're getting ready to toss it into the end zone and they toss it and then Butler intercepts the ball and the game is done. You know, it's this game changing moment. They couldn't believe it. Everybody was just shocked because they thought it was going to be one way. And it was a totally different way. And follow me here. I know it seems like a stretch, but listen, this is, <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. As you look at this world, there will be this moment where, this game-changing moment where the truth comes out, where those who thought they had won, that they had the most toys and the best stuff and, and the best things in this world, they trusted in all of that stuff, and they're going to go, none of it was secure. None of it was strong enough to hold my soul. And then those who lament And those who have sorrow in this world, who trust in the strength of Jesus and in the resurrection of him, are going to experience joy and peace. The game will change completely. So do you need refuge today? Do you need peace? I want to save you a lot of shopping. I want to save you a lot of work and running around for refuge and a lot of things. Jesus is the only way. He made a way. And number three says this, lasting hope only comes through Jesus. Lasting hope only comes through. I want hope that lasts, don't you? I don't want hope for a moment. I don't want to just feel good one morning and and, and have loss of hope the next day. I want to have hope that lasts. And in verse 19, it says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So I don't know when's the last time you thought about your soul. We think about our bodies a lot, right? I think about, you know, we go to the gym, we take care of our bodies, you know, we want to take care of ourselves. You get your hair all did up. You do your makeup, right? You want, to, you want to take care of your body. But there's this thing on the inside that's called the soul. And the Bible talks about it as, as your mind and your will and your emotions. 
your soul. And even in the New Testament, it uses this word called heart. What is your heart like? How is your heart? Every human has a heart, and not just the thing beating in your chest, but it's your, it's your soul. And the thing about a soul is every person in this room has a soul. And the one thing that every soul needs is hope. Every soul needs hope. And there are two kinds of hope in this world as I look around. There's worldly hope that is nothing more than just wishful thinking. Like just assume the best, think the best, hope for the best. You're like, well, I just ran my car into a guardrail. I forgot to pay my car insurance. And it's like worldly hope says, ah, it'll all work out. You'll be good. And you're like, have you seen my car? Ah, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, that's worldly hope. Just try to conjure up hope in the pain and the struggle of your existence. And I struggle with hope personally. I have a hard time with it. Um, I kind of have some fatalistic tendencies where when, when things are going good, I'm like, something bad's going to happen. Anybody else struggle with this? You know, it's like, oh, the car's running right. That means we're going to blow a pipe at home or something, you know. Oh, the kids are acting great. We are doomed. Like, life is over. Something's going to go wrong. Life is going way too well right now. And the reason is because we've all had hope and then lost it. You're like, oh, it's going good. Just wait. Just you wait. Maybe you have friends that say that. Oh, it's going good. Just wait. They want to pass that on to you, you know. I mean, that's because we have all lost hope. See, this is the thing. Christianity doesn't just conjure up hope from the darkness of this worldly existence. It doesn't just imagine hope when there is no hope. No, Christianity places its hope in a man that came to earth. He lived a perfect life. And history says that he was crucified on a cross for your sins and for my sins. And then he was put in the ground and his heart stopped beating. He was pierced and beaten. And he was in a grave for, for days and then he is resurrected from the grave, and he's seen by hundreds of people after that. This is where I want to put my hope. That, I mean, that sounds like power. That sounds like security. That sounds like an anchor for my soul. Amen? That's what we're talking about today is Jesus. And in verse 19, it says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Everybody say forerunner. Forerunner. You're like, that's the car I had in high school, right? The forerunner. So this is a different term. He's talking about the forerunner is a Greek term. It says the person who goes ahead. It's the one who goes ahead. And in this context, it's talking about this, uh, it's like a nautical term. And, and in this time, there would be these large ships that would come into port. And they would want to dock their ships. But they realized that between them and the shore were all kinds of underwater perils. All kinds of rocks and undercurrents that they couldn't see with their own eyes. And so what they would have is something called a forerunner. This small pilot vessel that would come out to the large ship. And that, that pilot vessel would come up next to the large ship, and the large ship would place its anchor in the hull of the small ship, the forerunner. And the forerunner would go ahead, it would navigate all of the dangerous waters through the rocks and through the currents. And then it would place the anchor of the large ship safely on dry ground. And then the, it would winch the large ship safely home. This is Jesus for us. Scripture talks about us like a ship that's floating aimlessly in the ocean. We're just floating around looking for something to anchor ourselves to. 
And see, that's the thing about it, is that, is that Jesus doesn't just say, listen, get to the shore. I hope you make it. He doesn't say, listen, here I am, come find me. No, our God literally puts on the skin of humanity. He comes to earth as a man. He gets down in the mess and the muck that we created. And he gets all messy with us and he even dies for us. And then he is resurrected to make a way as our forerunner so that we can make it safely home. That's the story of Easter. That's what he did in the resurrection is Jesus made a way when you couldn't. And that's what we celebrate today. And I want to encourage you today, if if you came here today without hope, without a sure foundation for your soul, I don't want you to leave here without that. Uh, it's, really, it's really our heart as a community and as a church to present the gospel of Jesus over and over and over again. I need to hear this too. But Jesus wants to anchor your soul. And I don't want anyone to leave here today not knowing. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to pray together. And I want to give you a chance to commit your life to him and to follow him. And, and here's the thing. This is, there's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a prayer. It's just words. But like we celebrated on Friday night, there was this man next to Jesus on the cross. And in his very last moments, the man had a change of heart. And he called out to Jesus, and Jesus receives him. And we know that a soul can be changed in just a moment. And so I want that for you today. I want you to, I want you to see Jesus for who he is, as the only hopeful and secure foundation for your soul. So what have you placed your hope in? What is it that you have trusted in up to this point in your life? I want to encourage you to make Jesus your security. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray this prayer together. Like I said, uh, it's nothing magical. But if you, if you mean this in your heart and you want to follow him today, I believe that you can enjoy this Easter Sunday knowing that there's peace. Peace between you and God. And so as, as a community, if you follow Jesus, what I want you to do, we're going to pray this out loud. And so I'm going to speak, and then I just want you to repeat after me. And if you know Jesus, I want you to speak these words with boldness, just reaffirming the commitment that you have made to trusting that he has made a way. And if you don't know him today, I want you to speak these words right now with us and just make a commitment to him to follow Jesus with us. So would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Jesus, I know I fall short. My efforts will never be enough to save me. So I come to you, laying down my life at your feet, asking for mercy. I receive the grace of Jesus today. And I will walk in the secure hope given to me on the cross. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand today, would you? So this is what we celebrate today is new life in Jesus. And so we're going to be offering an opportunity to be baptized. And we've got a few people that are scheduled And baptism is a real simple thing. It's just a symbol. It's just water, but it it represents us associating ourselves with Jesus' death, his burial, as we go into the water. And then as we come out of the water, we're connecting with his resurrection into new life. That's, it's just a, it's a symbol. And it's, it's the first thing commanded to those who follow Jesus is to go public with their faith.
is to be bold and to say, I'm not ashamed of what Jesus has done in my heart. I'm not ashamed of my life in Christ. And so I want to encourage you to do that today. We've actually taken away all of the excuses. We've got a table out here in the lobby. We've got t-shirts. We've got shorts. We've got sports bras for the ladies. We've got everything you need. We've got, you know, hair dryers in the, in the bathrooms. Everything you could possibly need. We've covered it. So that you today, on 2015, Easter 2015, you can walk away from here knowing that your hope is secure in Jesus. Having made a public declaration that your life is for him. And so I want to encourage you in that today, in these next few moments as we sing, if you feel God speaking to your heart, I want to encourage you to have the strength in your knees to stand up and to go get those clothes on. You can go home in your own clothes and to just make a declaration of what Christ has done in your heart. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are alive and sitting at the right hand of God the Father today. God, that you are in power and that you were not defeated by the cross and by the grave, but literally you defeated sin and death for us. God, I want to pray over everyone in this room. If there are those who are struggling today, those who are wondering if they can have the strength to stand, God, that you would give them strength in their knees to stand up and to follow you and to receive new life in Jesus. God, you have changed my heart. You've changed my life. And God, I just want to see that for everyone in the room, that no one would walk away wondering. So, Father, would you just move in this place as we worship and allow us to give you praise for all you've done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.